eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. It is time for a victory winner's edition of the podcast. East Carolina goes on the road, their first road game of the 2022 season. They come home with a 48-28 victory in Boca Raton over the South Florida Bulls. Of course, the game was moved due to Hurricane Ian hitting the Tampa area earlier in the week, so a bit of an odd game. Really, nobody at the game, and ECU did what it needed to do. One by 20 on the road. At the end of the day, I think any ECU fan will take a 20-point road victory in conference play. Clearly, there's a lot that has to be cleaned up, specifically in the second half from a defensive perspective, but I, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world, and I'll get to that as this podcast unfolds. But hey, it's a 20-point victory. If you want to be mad about it, <clears throat> be mad about it. You celebrate this win. You learn from it, and you get ready for a crucial game next weekend at Tulane. But let's talk about this one. Initial reactions. I'll share my positives, my negatives, individual standouts, and we'll start with the individual. And man, what a performance from Holton Aylers at quarterback and also wide receiver C.J. Johnson, who may have played his best game of his career. Certainly his best statistical game since the Cincinnati contest as a true freshman in 2019 and we knew going into the game South Florida does mix up coverages a lot but they will give you man coverage looks with a single high safety and if you like the one-on-one matchup you're going to take that more times than not East Carolina took that with CJ Johnson they took it early 60 yard touchdown pass to begin the game he also had a 74 yarder a 14 yarder and a nine yarder four touchdown receptions for CJ Johnson on seven catches 
for 197 yards. And I'll be honest, I did not know earlier this week if C.J. Johnson was going to play in this football game or not. It was it was being kept kind of quiet, at least from team sources and around the building. But I heard, you know, just from being in Greenville, in the D.H. Conley community, having gone there myself like C.J. and like Holton Aylers did, heard that C.J.'s grandmother passed away earlier in the week. And for those that aren't familiar with, with his situation, his grandmother basically raised him in many ways and was a huge influence on his life. And for him to lose his grandma, <clears throat> very difficult situation for the family, for C.J., didn't know if he was going to play. Saw the team share a, a photo of him yesterday in Boca. And so that was a good sign. I had a feeling that EC would try to get him the ball early and often. And for everything CJ's been through, the suspension in the spring, at that time, I really didn't think he would be back. He had to earn his way back, not only to the coaches, but to his teammates. And then to go through what he did this week, to respond from that with one of the best games of his career, I thought he blocked really well. He clearly caught the ball well. He was dynamic after the catch. Just a, a special performance in a day C.J. Johnson will never forget. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we missed the first touchdown, if you were watching at home on ESPN+, Plus, as the game had not started yet. The broadcast had not started. And they did show a replay once we finally went into the, the broadcast, which I believe was during South Florida's first drive, but... He, he, you could see the emotion when he scored his first touchdown on the first drive, pointing to the sky, falling down to his knees. And, you know, you could tell, too, there's there's a great video from the ECU football locker room where they, they shared uh, Mike Houston giving the game ball to C.J. Johnson and him leading the fight song. Just with everything he's been through, um, you could tell how emotional he was. So that was uh, that was awesome to see. Glad to see C.J. have a, a big day. Uh, Holt Naylor's. Man, I really thought this was it, guys. I have my 10 bold predictions earlier uh, in the preseason. One of those was Holt Naylor's would throw for 500 yards for the second time in his career and be the second 500-yard game, game in ECU history. Really thought it was going to be it. Unfortunately, South Florida possessed the ball a little too much in the second half. He didn't get quite as many opportunities, so he finishes with 465. 31 completions and 41 attempts for a 76% completion percentage, six touchdowns, which ties his own school record. And look, South Florida's defense is not very good, um, but he put some balls in the money. He also missed three or four balls where guys were open. And so, you know, he honestly could have had that 500 yards if he completes those three or four balls. I mean, if you throw the ball 41 times, you're not, listen, you're not going to, to uh, throw an accurate ball every time. So, uh, Ryan Jones, six catches, 84 yards. Isaiah Winstead had some big catches, six for 73 and a touchdown. Jones with the physical run to plow through a USF defender at one point, which was awesome. Also had the fumble in the second half, which is something he'll, he'll want to work on. It just seemed like he, he was trying to run uh, before securing the ball a little bit there after the screen. And that had the potential to be a big play if he could have broken that tackle. So that was an unfortunate play. And by the way, Finally got a screen called. We'll get to Donnie Kirkpatrick in a minute. Uh, Rajay Harris, unfortunately, leaves the game with an injury. Three catches for 40 yards. We'll talk about injuries here with the negatives and some little bit of concerning news with uh, with that. And also Jalen Johnson did not return. And then Keaton Mitchell's situation as well. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. And I just want to say offensively, you know, we, we – 
we heard so much flack for Johnny Kirkpatrick and the offensive game plan last week. Well, t- today I thought they had a great game plan. And South, for those asking last week, why did ECU not take deep shots against Navy? Why do they only do it against South Florida? Or, or why do they only do it certain games? Well, Navy basically played off coverage the entire game, forced ECU to work the underneath throws. USF gets in your face. They challenge you in those situations. And those are better matchups for ECU in those uh, situations to throw the football down the field. We saw that today. And that forced USF to change its defense. They had to go some zone. Then Ehlers picked them apart there. So it's just a different scheme. That's where you get different throws. USF does run a multiple defense. They do mix coverages. They blitz a good amount. But nothing to the extent that Navy does. And so that's why you kind of saw that disparity. And, and two, guys just made plays. Um, running game never really got clicking in this one. You know, Rajay Harris averages 3.6 yards per carry. He goes 11 times for 40 yards. Marlon Gunn with Keaton Mitchell out. He had a solid game, 15 carries for 61 yards in the most extensive playing time of his career. But it was obvious early on that South Florida, like basically every team to this point on ECU's schedule, they were playing to stop the run. So a, n- a number of first down throws for those that want to know uh, or talk about that. And listen, you finish with 575 yards of offense at the end of the day. Sure, you would like to have some more running success. You know, there were a few guys that got beat on some running plays, but I thought overall the offense did exactly what it needed to do. They took what the defense gave them. Holden Aylers made some excellent reads on the RPO where it's up to him whether to throw it or or run it on first down. He also had a a few where he took the ball. It's a, you know, run pass option where he can keep it too and run or he can throw it to the tight end. There were a few of those where he made some excellent reads on. And uh, I thought Holden, from a decision-making standpoint, played easily one of the the better games in recent memory as well. So uh, offensively, I mean, I, I thought that, they just played a phenomenal game. You know, you have <clears throat> that much yardage without one of your best players in Keaton Mitchell, and that says a lot. So, and I saw too, some people even wanted to make the comment that ECU wasn't, I guess, didn't take the same game plan into the second half offensively. And that's, that's BS. First play of the second half, play action pass, throw past the yards, um, yard markers, well, past the first down yard marker. It was just incomplete. You know, run on second down. And then another throw deep on third down and one-on-one coverage, and it just was incomplete. So a three and out. And then you only had three possessions after that. The second one, they go non-play 75 yards, throwing the football uh, a majority of the time. The next one, they tried the screen pass to Ryan Jones. It was a fumble. And the only other possession they had during the second half was the the one coming out of their own goal line, which, of course, you're going to run the ball in that situation. So only four second half possessions versus eight in the first half. So offensively, I thought they did fine all throughout the game. And I didn't see any conservative, any change in play call. And I thought that was important. We'll talk about some of the defensive issues in the second half as well. Clearly the defense did a phenomenal job in the first half. One of the biggest plays of the game was Julius Woods uh, strip of Gary Bohannon, the, the quarterback transfer from Baylor, the South Florida quarterback. And that was a huge play in the game. 14, nothing at the time. They were about to go in and score a touchdown, grab momentum. Wood comes off the backside, makes a nice tackle, strips the football, and it was recovered by ECU. And they go on to score, I believe, on a 97, 98-yard touchdown drive with another big play to C.J. Johnson. So that was a huge swing. And then you also had, despite a poor second half defensively, a, another goal line stand. 
And I guess if we're going to call an official goal line stand, it has to start from the one yard line or, you know, be in that territory. So the fumble, I believe that play originated from the three or four. So it doesn't quite count, but still a great stop. But then the goal line stand, South Florida has first and goal from the one, four plays to get in, and they do not get in. It ends with a uh, stop by the East Carolina defense at the one-yard line, and that was another crucial play for uh, for the defense. They made a really good play, stringing it out on the jet sweep. And at that time, it was a 48-28 game, and if they score there mid-fourth quarter, all of a sudden you're feeling some real pressure. And there was some pressure in the second half with South Florida making some plays, but it really would have turned if they would have punched it in there with seven, eight minutes left, and the defense really made them work after the Ryan Jones fumble. That was a key, too. You know, you had given up three consecutive touchdown drives to begin the second half. They get the fumble. They have all the momentum. They start at the 35, and they have to absolutely work their way just to get inside the 10. And then to get the goal line stand, that took a decent amount of time off the clock. Yeah, 6.35 for them to go 34 yards. So that was a crucial point in the game, too, and uh, a major, major reason why the Pirates were able to get out with the victory, even despite a sloppy second half. Uh, defensive performances, again, some of this stuff is hard to tell without rewatching the game just because there's so much happening. 11 guys on the field at once. But I thought uh, a number of guys had good games in particular. You know, notice Gerard Stringer uh, a little bit everywhere. I thought Chad Stevens, who played a lot of snaps at defensive end after Emmanuel Hickman got banged up. He looked good, stringing out some plays. Uh, Miles Berry was kind of everywhere. Jeremy Lewis made some plays. Had a nice tackle for a loss at one point on a run. So um, they played a ton of guys defensively. They played a good amount of plays for the the you know, for the game that it was. And so I thought that, you know, they had some guys banged up again, which we'll get to here shortly in our injury report. But I thought a a gritty effort defensively. I know they're not going to be happy with the second half, but uh, there were some positives for sure uh, during the football game defensively. All right, on the other side, we'll talk injuries and also the negatives coming out of the game as ECU improves 3-2 and and 1-1 in the American. You are listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back into the Hoist of Colors podcast. I forgot to mention during the first segment, one big positive I missed, Malik Fleming. He did it, guys. He almost broke the drought. The Mariners broke their 21-year playoff drought. Malik Fleming was about five yards away from breaking the 18-year punt return drought. ECU has not had a punt return for a touchdown since Travis Williams in 2004 against Memphis. Malik Fleming goes 60 yards on a punt return to set up a Rajay Harris five-yard score. One more block, and he would have gotten there. I jumped out of my seat. I I, I had the tweet ready. I've had the draft saved in in Twitter for like five years now. First punt return since Travis Williams in 2004. I thought this was going to be it. But it lives to, to to last another day. The drought continues. But uh, positive there with the 60-yard punt return. Positive, too, was Luke Larson's punting. He had a 47-yard punt with hang time. Downed inside the 20 at the 12. Thought he kicked it the other two times good as well. So a major positive there. Uh, unfortunately, the kicking game continues to be an issue with Owen Daffer. He misses his fourth extra point of the season. Now, two of those were blocked, so we have to mention that, and two of those were not his fault, but he's now missed two extra points in five games. He's missed two kicks under 40 yards, and you just can't be leaving easy points on the field. You have to convert all extra points, to be honest. I mean, maybe one slip up here or there, but you can't be missing PATs. Uh, You really can't be missing anything 40 yards and in, and right now, uh, unfortunately, Owen is, is, you know, he's a great kid, but he's costing ECU points. And against South Florida, it may not matter, but it, it might matter against Tulane, it, just like it mattered against Navy, and also against uh, NC State. So there, there comes a point where there's other kickers on the roster. Do we really open it up and make it a true competition, or does ECU can continue to ride with Owen? I mean, I plan to to ask that question this week because it's getting to the point where, unfortunately, the conversation needs to be had. So um, that's my personal opinion on the matter. You can't just miss extra points, and it's a momentum killer. It's a potential game changer. And so I think that's something we'll ask this week. Um, As far as the negatives, defensively, I mean, just not good to start the second half. South Florida, again, Six plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Eight plays, 56 yards, touchdown. Ten plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Defensively, they played stellar in the first half for the most part. Did give up the 91-yard score. They needed the fumble on the third drive. And really defensively, after the first two drives and late in the first half, they did not play a great game. I will say this about South Florida. Better than the numbers indicate for sure. Um, Gary Bohan- Bohannon was a quality quarterback at Baylor. He was all, all conference. He led Baylor to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, we saw he's a much better passer than what the numbers said. I mean, he's, he's not an elite passer by any means, but he made some quality decisions, some quality throws. I thought the tackling was, was pretty suspect for ECU at times in this game. Now, a guy like Bohannon is slippery, as is Brian Batie, the running back. But uh, you give up 253 through the air, 202 on the ground. Just not a great day defensively. And I think this may be a good thing, though, because when you win games in college football, you know, we're talking about 18 to 22-year-old kids or young men in many cases. 
you know, guys have trouble stacking consistent days on top of each other. You know, you have your rare handful of guys on the team that show up and give the same effort, compete on a daily basis throughout the year, but sometimes you need a little extra motivation. I get the feeling with this defense, having a fire lit underneath them, having that motivation is exactly what they thrive on. And so the best thing about this performance is the coaching staff is going to be able to, you know, not rip them a new one, but they're going to be able to get into them pretty good even after a 20-point win. Going into the two-lane game where they're going to have to bring it defensively, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think the defense will play well next week. Again, we, we continue to see some bust and and zone coverage defensively on the back end. That needs to continue to be cleaned up. Now, some of that is just you're getting caught in bad bad calls when you run zone defense like uh, ECU primarily is doing right now. Sometimes you just, if you don't get home with pressure, which has been inconsistent to this point, um, I believe maybe one sack on Bohan today, but when you don't get home with pressure, you're going to get exposed. You can't hold up in zone defense for four or five seconds consistently. So, uh, they're going to have to continue to refine coverage. You know, run defense I thought was solid for the most part until the second half when Bohan and, and Petit got loose, but they were able to handle them in the first half and really kind of change South Florida's game plan, which, uh, they, you know, to South Florida's credit, they did a good job of. And, and too, I want to mention, you know, I'll be honest, when USF got down huge, I thought they would just roll over and die. I've heard they don't have a good culture there. Under Jeff Scott, you know, 41-7 at halftime. What, you know, what do they have to play for in the second half? But, man, they were – they came out battling. And, um, you know, if they can find a way to play like that all year, ECU did a good job of shutting down their number one receiver and Xavier Weaver. But Jimmy Horn Jr., who missed the Louisville game, along with Weaver, you know, he comes back. He has a huge day, eight catches, 180, and two scores. If they can get him and Weaver going and maybe some of these other weapons, then I think South Florida can can be a much better offensive team along with getting Bohannon going than they've shown through the first four and a half games. And a lot of that has been injuries to receivers. And as they continue to get some of those weapons back, I think that'll make a difference for the Bulls. But um, outside of that, you know, special teams, the kicking game, again, got to get figured out. And then defensively, there's some things to work on as, uh, as ECU moves forward. But again, Pirates win. They move three and two, and get back to one and one in the American Athletic Conference play. We talked about how much of a must-win this game was. Really, you know, you never want to say those words early in the season. It's a must-win, like it's so cliche. But in reality, I mean, ECU had to win this game. South Florida has one FBS win since Jeff Scott took the the head coaching job. If you want to be a conference title contender. You can't lose to Navy, and you can't lose to South Florida. You certainly can't lose to both of them back-to-back, and so this was a much-needed bounce back for the Pirates heading into a crucial meeting with the Tulane Green Wave in New Orleans. So and this was a physical game. A lot of injuries coming out of it, it feels like, for ECU. You know, you hope that they're not real serious, but you know, I'll try to rattle them off here on the top of my head. We know, obviously, Keith Mitchell already banged up. Well, he continues to deal with that hit pointer, so we'll keep an eye on that moving forward. Uh, Taylor Jackson, the backup linebacker, a third-year linebacker out of D.C., he got tied up at one point. You know, him and Elijah Morris were both running after the quarterback. Just took a really awkward spill, nobody's fault, as Elijah Morris kind of dove for Bohannon and took out uh, Taylor's leg. 
really kind of fell awkwardly. And then the, the camera panned away there as the training staff was looking at him. So I'm not sure if he was able to walk off under his own power or not. So uh, Jackson goes down. Emmanuel Hickman, I noticed early in the game, I don't know if it was his hand or wrist or arm, he seemed to go out with an injury. Did not see him get much playing time after that. So you saw Chad Stevens and Elijah Robinson rotating a lot at defensive end. So we'll keep an eye on Hickman going forward. And then you look, too, at uh, offensively. You know, you've already got Keaton out. And then Rajay Harris, who I noticed was wearing a brace this week at practice after twisting up his knee last week, he goes down late in the contest. Looked like he was trying to cut and got kind of got bent up awkwardly either before or during the tackle. And he stays down, looks to be in some pain, and again was kind of favoring that right knee. I'm not sure if that was the same knee he injured versus Navy or not. I'm going to go back and check that in the uh, the next few hours. But either way, didn't look great. We hope that that's not serious. He was able to walk off under his own power, but very gener- gen- gingerly. And when you have a knee injury, it's never a good thing for a running back because those guys count on that to cut, pivot, all that sort of stuff. So... All of a sudden, at running back, you got two guys who are banged up. Your two lead horses. We talked about it all of last year. ECU was very fortunate to get through the season, being able to utilize only Keaton and Rajay. That probably wasn't going to happen again with as much as ECU gives those guys work. And we're seeing now that without them, you're going to have to have some other guys step up. And these things will at least linger at least a few more weeks, if not longer. We saw Marlon Gunn step up. That was good. You still have some depth here. Camaro Edmonds, the transfer from UNC, the former four-star recruit. He's yet to make an appearance as a Pirate. You have to bring him along. You've also got Pop McKay as a second-year guy in the offense. Do you bring him along? And then Nemo Squire further down the line. So you do have some options. But uh, it always hurts to lose a guy with experience and the guy who's kind of been the rock back there, like Rajay Harris. So we'll keep an eye on his injury as well as Keaton Mitchell. Trying to think, a few other guys banged up. Oh, yeah, Juwan Powell, the corner, went down after making the tackle late in the contest, so hopefully that's nothing serious. And then C.J. Johnson, after making his four-touchdown catch, went, he looked like he was either looking at his wrist or his left hand or, or finger, went to the bench and got that checked out. And he did come back into the game, which was good. But also Jalen Johnson, the other Johnson, he left in the first quarter with what looked to be an injury and did not return. He stayed on the sideline, so it doesn't look like anything super serious. But again, that's a lot of guys and a lot of key guys that were banged up in this win or banged up going into the game and got further banged up. So here we are. We're entering the meat of your conference schedule, and this is where things get tough. I mean, you're, you're playing a gauntlet of a schedule, and, and people can say, oh, South Florida isn't very good. And in reality, they're probably not, but – they're still a big, good-looking football team from Florida, and they got some guys. And you play these games, the injuries are going to add up. That's why you got to have quality depth. you got to have tough physical football players. We know Holton's been playing pretty much injured for three or four weeks now since spraining his, uh, his shoulder in the opener. So, uh, you know, a lot of things to keep an eye on here from a personnel perspective going forward. But the main thing is the main thing. ECU needed a win. They got the win, 48-28, in Tampa, Florida. They improved to 3-2. and two. They get themselves back on the right side of 500. They stop the bleeding. You know, we can sit here and we can complain about how ECU shouldn't have let a 21-7 contest turn into a 
20-point game in the second half with them knocking on the doorstep of making it a 13-point game. We can talk about the defense waxing up in the second half. We can talk about, you know, why didn't the offense look like this against Navy and why that's so frustrating. But at the end of the day, ECU got the win. They did what they needed to do, and we moved forward. And ECU's got another critical game that's coming a week at Tulane. Really interested to see the line for this game. Tulane goes on the road at Houston. They win without their starting quarterback. That's a, a big win for Willie Fritz. You just knew they would bounce back. He's too good of a coach after a disappointing two-win season. They had a bunch of injuries last year. They've got some key guys back. Defensively, Pratt looks more healthy when he has been in the game. But for them to go to Houston, even against a struggling Cougars team and beat them with basically their third-string quarterback, says a lot. They can run the football. They play good defense. Very similar to ECU in many ways, and I think it's going to be a great game in New Orleans next Saturday. But for tonight, we're talking ECU-USF, and ECU wins it 48-28. This has been a frustrating series for ECU for many years. The Pirates right now taking advantage of a down USF program. They've now won three in a row in the series after starting out winning just one out of the first ten I believe, so uh, that's that's not a bad thing. and Always good to beat up on some long-time conference foes as ECU improves to 3-2 and two on the campaign. All right, that'll do it for their immediate reactions. Hoist the Colors podcast. Again, congrats to the Pirates. Congrats to C.J. Johnson on a great night, on a night that he needed, and on a night he, uh, he deserved to have some success. Also, congrats to Holton Aylers tying his school record six touchdown passes. And congrats to the Pirates as they fly home from Boca Raton. Winners on the road in their road debut of 2022. All right, appreciate you guys listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. We'll be back with you in the coming days as we start to turn our attention to the lane and also talk about this game. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? 
and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 